0: Section Thirty Two of T. De Witt Talmage as I Knew Him. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fiddlesticks. T. De Witt Talmage as I Knew Him by Eleanor McCutchen Collier Talmage. The Third Milestone, Part Two. We went from Nottingham to Glasgow. The date I find is May First, 1, Nineteen Hundred it was always dr talmage's custom to visit the cemetery first so he drove out to the grave of john knox in glasgow the doctor preached at cowedon's free church to the usual crowded congregation and he was compelled to address an overflow meeting from the steps of the church after the regular service the best part of dr talmage's holiday moods which were as scarce as he could make them because of the amount of work he was always doing were filled with the delight of watching the eager interest in sight-seeing of the two girls miss maud talmage and my daughter in glasgow we encountered the usual wet weather of the proverbial scottish quality and it was saturday of the week before we ventured out to see the lakes my daughter naively confesses the situation to her journal as follows this a.m. got up at the usual starting hour, seven o'clock, and as it looked only dark we decided to go. At breakfast it started to rain again, and Mama and the doctor began to back out, but Maud and I talked to some advantage. We argued that if we were going to sit around and wait for a fair day in this country we might just as well give up seeing anything more interesting than hotel parlors and dining rooms. We started, and just as a send-off, the old sky opened and let down a deluge of water. It rained all the time we were on Loch Lomond, but that didn't prevent us from being up on deck on the boat. From under umbrellas we saw the most beautiful scenery in Scotland. Part of this trip was made by coach, always in the pouring rain. We drove on and on through the hills, seeing nothing but sheep, sheep, sheep. Dr. Talmadge asked the driver what kind of vegetables they raised in the mountains, and the driver replied, mutton. We had luncheon at a very pretty little hotel on Loch Katrine, and here boarded a little steamer launch, Rob Roy, for a beautiful sail. I never, no matter where I travel, expect to look upon a lake more beautiful. The mountains give wildness and romance to the calm and quiet of the lake and the island, Maud read aloud to us part of the Lady of the Lake, as we sat out on deck. In Edinburgh, Dr. Talmadge preached his well-known sermon upon unrequited services, at the request of Lord Kintore, the son of the Earl of Kintore, who had suggested the theme to him some years before. In fact, the doctor wrote this sermon by special suggestion of the Earl of Kintore. Incidents great and small were such a large part of the eventful trip to Europe that it is difficult to make those omissions, which the disinterested reader might wish. The doctor, like ourselves, saw with the same rose-coloured glasses that we did. We were very pleasantly entertained in Edinburgh by Lord Kintore and others, but the most interesting dinner-party, I think, was when we were the guests of Sir Herbert Simpson, brother of the celebrated Sir James Y. Simpson, the man who discovered the uses of chloroform as an anaesthetic. We dined in the very room where the discovery was first tested." When Dr. Simpson had decided upon a final experiment of the effects of chloroform, as an anesthetic, he invited three or four of his colleagues and friends to share the test with him. They met in the very room where we dined with Sir Herbert Simpson and his family. The story goes that when everything had been prepared for the evening's work, Dr. Simpson informed Sandy, an old servant, that he must not be disturbed under any circumstances, telling him not to venture inside the door himself until 5 a.m., then if no one had left the room he was to enter sandy obeyed these instructions to the letter and came into the room at five in the morning he was very much shocked to find his master and the others under the table in a stupor i never thought my master would come to this said sandy he was still in the employ of the family being a very old man dr talmage's engagements took him from edinburgh to liverpool where he preached it was well there that we made a visit to Howarden to see Mrs. Gladstone. The doctor had been to Howarden before as the guest of Mr. Gladstone, and was disappointed to find that Mrs. Gladstone was too ill to be seen by any one. We were entertained, however, by Mrs. Herbert Gladstone. I remember how much the doctor was moved when he saw in the hall, at Howarden, a bundle of walking-sticks and three or four hats hanging on the hat-rack, as Mr. Gladstone had left them when he died. From Liverpool we went to Sheffield, where Dr. Talmage preached to an immense congregation. It was in May, the time when all England is flower-laden, when the air is as sweet as perfume and the whole countryside is as fascinating as a garden. It was the coaching season, too, and the doctor entered into the spirit of these beautiful days very happily. We took a ten days trip from Leamington after leaving Sheffield, coaching through the exquisite scenery round about Warwick. Kenilworth, and the Shakespeare country in Stratford-on-Avon. Most of these reminiscences are full of incidents too intimate for public interest, like a dream that lifts one from prosaic life into the places of precious remembrance. I recall these long happy days in the glorious sunset of his life. We returned to London in time for the doctor's first preaching engagement, there on May 28, 1900. The London newspapers described him as the American Spurgeon, and now before the services opened at st james's hall a congregation of three thousand people waited to hear dr talmage says a london newspaper and then it goes on to say further dr talmage who has preached from pulpits all over the world may be described as an american spurgeon none of our great english speakers is less of an orator dr talmage is a great speaker but his power as an orator is not by any means that of a gladstone or a bright it lies more in the matter than in the manner in his wonderful imagery the vividness with which he conjures up a picture before the congregation he is a great artist in words dr talmage affects nothing he is naturalness itself in the pulpit and the manner of his speech suggests that he is angry with the subject the sermon on this occasion lent itself well to a master of metaphor such as dr talmage it being a review of the last great battle of the world when the forces of right and wrong should meet for the final mastery dr talmage rarely preached this sermon because it was a great tax on his memory it included a suggestion of all the great battles of the earth a vivid description of the armies of the world marching forward in the eternal human struggle of right against wrong until they were massed for the last great battle of all when satan would take the field in person in whose make-up nothing bad was left out nothing good was put in it is very remarkable to see the universal acknowledgment of the doctor's genius in england one of the London newspapers, going so far as to describe him in its headlines as America's Apostle. Nothing I can write about him could be more in eulogy, more in sympathy, in comprehension of his brilliant sacred message to the world. England proclaimed him as he was, with deep sincerity and reverence. His favorite sermon, and it was mine also, was upon the theme of unrequited services, the text being from 1 Samuel thirty twenty-four. But, as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. It was in this sermon that Dr. Talmage made reference to Florence Nightingale in the following words, Woman, your reward in the eternal world will be as great as that of Florence Nightingale, the Lady of the Lamp. Well, in London he preached this sermon, and the following day, to our great surprise, the doctor received the following note at his hotel. June third, 1900. 10 South Street, Park Lane, Dear Sir, I could gladly see you to-morrow, Monday, at five, yours faithfully, Florence Nightingale, D. DeWitt Talmage of America. I have carefully kept the letter in my autograph album. Dr. Talmage and I called at the appointed time. It was a beautiful summer day, and we found the celebrated woman lying on a couch in a room at the top of the house, the windows of which looked out on Hyde Park. She was dressed all in white. Her face was exquisitely spiritual, calm, sweet, with the youth of a soul that knew no age. She had never known that she had been called the Lady of the Lamp by the soldiers of the Crimea till she read of it in the doctor's sermon. She was curious to be told all about it. In conversation with the doctor she made many inquiries about America and the Spanish War, making notes on a pad of what he said." The doctor told her that she looked like a woman who had never known the ordinary conflicts of life, as though she had always been supremely happy and calm in her soul. I remember she replied that she had never known a day's real happiness till she began her work as a nurse on the battlefield. "'I was not always happy,' she said. "'I had my idle hours when I was a girl. I may not remember her exact words, but this is a sense of them. She was past eighty-two years of age at the time.' Enjoying the intervals of sightseeing, such as the tower, the museum, Westminster Abbey, and the usual wonders of historical London, we remained in town several weeks. I remember a visit which Mr. Choate, the American ambassador, made us with a view of extending any courtesy he could for the doctor while we were in England. I told him that I was more anxious to see the British Parliament in session than anything else. I should think, as Dr. Talmadge has with him a letter from the President of the United States, this request could be arranged," I said. Mr. Choate gracefully replied that Dr. Talmadge required no introduction anywhere, not even from the President, and arranged to have the charge D'Affaires Mr. White, who was later Ambassador to France, take us over to the Houses of Parliament, where we were permitted a glimpse of the members at work from the cage enclosure reserved for lady visitors. The doctor's friends in England did their best to make us feel at home in London. We were dined and lunched, and driven about whenever Dr. Talmadge could spare time from his work. Sir Alfred Newton, the Lord Mayor, and Lady Newton gave us a luncheon at the Mansion House on June fifth, 1900. I remember the date because it was an epoch in the history of England. During the luncheon the news reached the Lord Mayor of the capture of Pretoria he ordered a huge banner to be hung from the mansion-house on which were the words the british flag lies at pretoria this was the first intimation of the event given to londoners in that part of the city side by side with it another banner proclaimed the national prayer god save the queen in big red letters on the white background a scene of wild enthusiasm and excitement followed every englishman in that part of london i believe began to shout and cheer at the top of his lungs an immense crowd gathered in the adjoining streets around the mansion house the morning war news had only indicated a prolonged struggle so that the capture of pretoria was a great and joyous surprise to the british heart suddenly all hats were off and the crowds in the streets sang the national anthem there were loud calls for the lord mayor to make a speech we watched it all from the windows in the parlor of the mansion-house, at the corner of Queen Victoria Street. Dr. Talmage was as wildly enthusiastic as any Englishman, cheering and waving his arm from the open windows, in hearty accord with the crowd below. There was no sleep for anyone in London that night. Around our hotel the blowing of horns and cheering lasted till the small hours of the morning. It seemed very much like the excitement in America after the capture of the Spanish fleet." We left London finally with many regrets, having enjoyed the hospitality of what is to me the most attractive country in the world to visit. We went direct to Paris to attend the opening ceremonies of the Paris Exposition of 1900. It seems like a very old story to tell anything today of this event, and to Dr. Talmage it was chiefly a repetition of the many fairs he had seen in his life, but he found time to write a description of it at the time which recalls his impressions. He regarded it as an object lesson of peace and a tableau of the millennium his defense of general peck the american commissioner-general who was criticized by the american exhibitors was made at length he considered these criticisms unjust and said so during our stay in paris dr talmage preached at the american churches fearing that it would be difficult to secure rooms in paris during the exposition the doctor had written from washington during the winter and had engaged them at the hotel which a few years before had been one of the best in paris many changes had occurred since he had last been abroad however and we found that the hotel where we had engaged rooms was far from being suitable for us the mistake caused some amusement among our american friends who were surprised to find dr talmage living in the midst of a parisian gaiety entirely too promiscuous for his calling we soon moved away from this zone of oriental music and splendour to a quieter and more remote hotel in the rue castellon dr talmage was restless however to reach the north cape in the best season to see the midnight sun in its glory and we only remained in paris a few days going from there to hang Amsterdam and thence to copenhagen in denmark in all the cities abroad we were always the guests of the american embassy one evening during our stay and this frequently led to private dinner parties with some of the prominent residents which the doctor greatly enjoyed because it gave him an opportunity to know the foreign people in their homes i remember one of these invitations particularly because as we drove into the grounds of our host's home he ordered the american flag to be hoisted as we entered the garden was beautiful with profusion of yellow blossoms a national flower in denmark known as golden rain we admired them so much that our host wanted to present me with a sprig of the trees to plant in our home in East Hampton. Dr. Talmage said he was sure that they would not grow out there, so near the sea. Remembering Judge Collier's grounds in Pittsburgh, where every sort of flower grows, I suggested that they would thrive there. Our host took my father-in-law's address, and today this golden rain of Denmark is growing beautifully in his garden in Pittsburgh. We saw and explored Copenhagen thoroughly the king of denmark was absent from the capital but we stood in front of his palace with the usual interest of visitors little expecting to be entered there as afterwards we were it all came as a surprise we were on our way to the station to leave copenhagen when mr swenson the american minister overtook us and informed us that the crown prince and princess desired to receive dr talmage and his family at the summer palace though it may be at the risk of Les Majestes to say it, some persuasion was necessary to induce the doctor to remain over. Our trunks were already at the station, and Dr. Talmage was anxious to get up to the North Cape. However, the American minister finally prevailed upon the doctor to consider the importance of a request from royalty, and we went back to the hotel into the same rooms we had just left our presentation took place the next day at the summer palace which is five miles from copenhagen it was the most informally delightful meeting the formalities of royalty that are sometimes made to appear so overwhelming to the ordinary individual were so gracefully interwoven by the crown prince and the princess with cordiality and courtesy that we were as perfectly at ease as if there had been crowns hovering over our own heads the royal children were all present too and we talked and walked and laughed together like a family party the crown princess said to me come let me show you my garden and we strolled in the beautiful grounds the crown prince said come let me show you my den and there gave us the autographs of himself and the princess we left regretfully as we drove away the royal party were gathered at the front windows of the palace waving their handkerchiefs to us in graceful adieus i remember my little daughter was very much surprised with the simplicity of the whole affair saying to me as we drove away why it was just like visiting grandpa's home on our way to trodenheim from copenhagen we stayed over a few days at christiana where we were the guests of nansen the arctic explorer his home which stood out near the water's edge was like a bungalow made of pine logs there were no carpets on the floors, which were covered with the skins of animals he had himself killed. Trophies of all sorts were in evidence. It was a very memorable afternoon, with the simple, brave, scientific Nansen. At Trodenheim we took the steamer Kong Herald for the North Cape. A party of American friends had just returned from there with a most lugubrious story about the bad weather and their utter failure to see the sun. As it was pouring rain when we started, it would not have taken much persuasion to induce us to give it all up, but we had started with a purpose, and silently but firmly we went on with it. Dr. Talmage never turned back at any crossroad in his whole life. In a few hours after leaving Trodenheim, we were in the raw, cold Arctic temperature where a new order of existence begins. We lose all sense of ordinary time, for our watches indicate midnight and there is no darkness. The overhanging clouds draw slowly apart and the most brilliant dazzling midnight sun covers the waters and sets the sky on fire. It neither rises from the horizon or sinks into it. It stays perfectly, immovably still. After a while it rises very slowly. The meals on board are as irregular as the time. They are served according to the adaptability of one's appetite to the strangeness of the new element of constant di- daytime. We scarcely went to sleep, or knew when to do so. Fortunately, our furs are handy, for there is snow and ice on the wild barren rocks on either side of us. On July 1st, at 8 p.m., we sighted this northmost land, the Cape, and were immediately induced to indulge in cod-fishing from the decks of our steamer. It is the custom, and the cod seem to accept the situation with perverse indiscretion, for many of them are caught our lines and bait are provided by sailors dinner is again delayed to enable us to indulge in this sport but we don't mind because we have lost all the habitual tendencies of our previous normal state at ten p m in a bright daylight the small boats full of passengers begin to leave the steamer for the shore in about fifteen minutes we are landed at the base of that towering cape there are some who doubt the wisdom of dr talmage's attempting to climb at his age he has no doubts, however, and no one expresses them to him. He is among the first to take the staff handed to him as to all of us, and starts up at his usual brisk striding gait. It is a test of lungs and heart, of skill and nerve to climb the North Cape, and that no one attempt it who is unfitted for the task. Steep almost as the side of a house, rocky as an unused pathway, it is a feat to accomplish. We were the first party of the season to go up, and the paths had not been entirely cleared of snow, which was two and three feet deep in places, the path itself sometimes a narrow ledge over a precipice. A rope guard was the only barrier between us and a slippery catastrophe. Every ten or fifteen minutes we sat down to get our breath. It took us two hours to reach the top. It was a few minutes after midnight when the sun came out gloriously. Coming down was much more perilous, but we got back in safety to the Kong Herald, at two a.m. On our way down to the Trodenheim, we celebrated the Fourth of July on board. The captain decorated the ship for the occasion, and we all tried to sing the Star-Spangled Banner, but we could not remember the words, much to our mutual surprise, and finally we compromised by singing America, and, worst of all, Yankee Doodle. Dr. Talmadge made a very happy address, and we came into port finally, pledged to learn the words of the Star Spangled Banner before the year was up. End of section 32.